Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, Best Practices in the Use of Long-Acting Injectables in Bipolar Disorder, Part 2, is jointly provided by Novus Medical Education and Medical Education Resources, and is supported by an independent educational grant from Atsuka America Pharmaceutical Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Hello, I'm Roger McIntyre, Professor of Psychiatry and Pharmacology at University of Toronto, and I'm pleased to welcome you to our session today entitled Best Practices in the Use of Long-Acting Injectables in Bipolar Disorder. Throughout my career, I have been implementing long-acting injectables in people who have bipolar disorder. And throughout that time, there are common scenarios that I've encountered with patients vis-a-vis how to have that discussion, what are some of the barriers, some of the attitudinal barriers, and some of the implementation barriers to implementing long-acting injectables in bipolar. And what we're going to do today is we're going to have some provider-patient scenarios that I've frequently come in contact with that we want to share with you to help you, in fact, learn more about long-acting injectables and also how to address some of these very common scenarios that emerge when having discussions with our patients about long-acting injectables and bipolar. And I'm very pleased to welcome Frank. Frank, nice to see you again. I just was reviewing your health record as well as your medication. I know that you've had the diagnosis of bipolar 1 disorder now from what's in the chart about three years. And there's a number of different medications that you're taking. And I was asked to see you today to really see how things are going. Well, you know, I, I, as you know, I had to move recently. That last manic episode, I, I made such a fool of myself that I, I, I can't even see my old friends. But, you know, I've been struggling. I'm kind of feeling down, but, like, not cataclysmically depressed. I don't feel suicidal or anything. But, yeah, so I don't know. And during the last, say, year, we haven't seen you here in the clinic for quite some time, um, I noticed that your medications, they're being renewed some of the time, but we don't have all the records. Are you taking your medications on a regular yeah. basis? Yeah, 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 yeah. I noticed from the count of the medications, you've been prescribed three different types of medications for bipolar disorder. Um, can you tell me if you're able to take all three of them during this uh, this period of time? Yeah, 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 I don't know. You know, yeah, I, I've been, yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Frank, what I like to do just to give myself a benchmark is really get a percentage. What percentage of the time have you been taking each of these three medications during the past, say, three to six months? God, you know, this is part of my problem, Doc. Honestly, you know, I, I don't know. My memory is not what it was. I, I don't know. I, the lithium is the hardest for me. It makes me shake. I, I, at least half the time, I would say I'm taking the lithium. What about the other two that you're taking? Also, you have an antipsychotic, and I know some medication for your depression as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm better with the antidepressant. I, I don't know. It, it, the antipsychotic, same thing. It just, it, it makes me feel so sleepy. I, that one, I, yeah, a couple days a week probably. The antidepressant, I'm pretty good with. I probably do that five or six days a week. I would say. Okay. So most people that we see here in the clinic, Frank, take their medications between twenty to fifty percent of the time. So would you say that's around the same range you're taking it? Yeah. Or a bit lower than that? No, 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 no. I, I don't know. You probably, yeah, that's probably about right. And do you have a sense, and sometimes people do, often they don't, what are the maybe reasons you don't take it more, like say 75% of the time or more than that? I don't know. I get busy. I, I, I don't know. I forget. 
you know, it's I forget my antibiotics, right? Right. Um, and then, you know, it's hard. Having to think about taking it every day, it just, I don't know, reminds me of that manic episode, to be honest with you. And would you say forgetfulness has been probably the enemy of the state here? Has that been the biggest problem? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, 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 I don't ever want to have another one of those manic episodes. Like, that last one was just, I lost pretty much everything. So I, it's just hard. And of the three medications that you're prescribed, are there any one of these medications you think are absolutely critical for you to keep well? Well, it was stopping the antipsychotic, probably, that did me down and set me off for the last manic episode. Okay, if you haven't already figured this out, this is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Charles Raison. Charles, introduce yourself. <laughs> Chuck Raison, I'm a professor of psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I seem to have, uh, I really enjoy doing these sort of, these role plays. They're really actually quite educational, I think, right? It, it really is. I think nothing's more uh, educational than trying to put yourself in the, in the mind yeah, of, you know, of the really, patient. Yeah, right? that's right. You know, yeah. and the embarrassment, in this case, of, of you, you, this is a person who knows he needs to take the medicine. Yeah. He's freaked out about what's happening. That's right. But like all of us, he's struggling, and he doesn't want to fess up that he's not, you know, living up to your, you know, your expectations. But it does. It opens a door for discussion about other ways to enhance inheritance. And for me, Chuck, what I've done over the years is I've just had a working premise that people take medications on a percentage spectrum. And just, right. leave, just leave it open. Yeah. It's non-judgmental. Just, hey, listen, look, you know, I rarely meet anyone with 100% batting average. Let's just find it where you're at, and let's work together on that. That, that was a key move, right? So when you said, or, you know... 20 to 50 percent, that was beautiful. He said below that, it kind of gave me a chance to go, no, you know, this guy was probably hitting 30 percent, maybe yeah. something like that, right? But obviously 30 percent puts him at huge risk for That's relapses. Right. That's right. And for me, when, uh, when I hear that, then my next sort of job is, okay, what are some of the reasons? What's the barriers? What are the facilitators there? And so I'm getting into the conversation, obviously not exhaustive, but beginning to get some of the top-line reasons for that non-adherence. Exactly. And in this case, the, the, the gentleman, it was really kind of inertia, right? Yeah. He, he had insight, but it was inertia. That's right. And that's a great word. I have found that to be very, very common. And, and, and the positive is it's malleable because inertia is not no. Inertia is inertia. That's right. and, often, and that's where the motivational interviewing, the engagement, the therapeutic alliance comes in. Exactly. Okay, let's now speak to a, another scenario which I very commonly encounter, and that's persons who have bipolar disorder, who might be candidates for long-acting injectables, who are struggling with the need for long-term care for bipolar disorder. Frank, welcome hey, back Hey, how you doing, Dr. McIntyre? I am glad to see you. Good Frank, day, Matt. it's yes. really nice to see you Good. for today's cool. session. So what are we doing? Well, we wanted to sit down today and have a discussion about taking treatment during the long term. I think you had well, made, you, you'd made a, a call to the office that you want to discuss this? Well, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I don't, so, you know, I was feeling so depressed, but I, I, you know, it's weird. I feel better. I feel so much better that I don't think I need the long-term treatment. I, 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 I was so depressed I couldn't get out of bed, but now I'm just ready to go, and I've got some ideas, and, you know, I don't want to do anything that might mess things up, but I wanted to call you first because I, I, I don't know, I feel kind of sad. I, I just wanted to inform you so you'd be aware. It sounds as though some of the symptoms of bipolar might be coming back. I, I right? know. I, no. well, like what? Well, some of the, you know, I know you're a bit more animated today talking about Yeah, but that's a good today. thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I just, I, you know. So anyway, I think, you know, I've been taking the medicine, but I've stopped in the last couple of days because, like I say, I feel better. So I think I'm set. I think I'm fine. Let me ask this question. During our last appointment, you were mentioning that you do believe you have bipolar disorder. Is that still the case? Well, yes, I, I, you know, I mean, I was clearly depressed. There's no doubt about yes. that. And, you know, so, yes. I mean, uh, you know. That's clearly changed. Yeah, clearly, you know. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. And do you think that you need long-term treatment? Well, you know, see, this is the thing. I, I don't think so because I'm feeling so much better right now. 
So what do you think would happen if you were to stop all of your medications? And what would be your, would you have any concern with that? Well, no, I think I'd be fine, probably. I mean, like I say, I'm feeling so much better that I don't think this would be a problem. You know, I don't, you know, my wife's kind of worried about me. So that's another reason I call, because she thinks I'm getting a little bit manic. So I don't know, you know. So she has justified concerns. So what would happen then? What do you think your risk would be if you don't take any medication over the next, say, year or two years? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting question. I, 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 don't, I don't know. You know, I mean... I don't want to end up back in the hospital again. I mean, that's one thing for sure. That was a terrible experience. That was awful. Horrible, horrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, just, I, I just, I don't want to do that again. And that was a long admission as well. That was a long admission. Yeah, that I'm, was a bad one. Well, I'm glad you still have that concern. The uh, medications, are they causing you any side effects or anything like that? Uh, no, I, I mean, they were okay. They were okay. You know, no, that, wasn't, that, that wasn't a problem. I just, I just started feeling so much better. I thought maybe I, you know, maybe, maybe I don't need them. So do you feel you're back to your regular self again at this point? Well, I no, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm yeah. a little bit excited. Yeah. So you actually don't really think you need long-term treatment for bipolar well, disorder? Uh, well, um, I don't know. My wife was kind of giving me trouble this morning. Sounds like you guys are not on the same page on this. Yeah, one. yeah. And, uh, you know, she's been my rock. So I don't know. I definitely do. I, I don't want to do anything that might risk that relation. I mean, that's such an important thing to me. I just, you know, that's really important. So I, I you know, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Well, I, we'll come back to that. I have a few thoughts on that. But let me just finish my, well, my other thought, that being, do you, do you feel you need to take medications all the time or just some of the time? Um, well, I was taking medicine all the time. You know, it's just that I felt better now. So I, I mean, for quite a while, you know, Dr. McIntyre, I was, I was like a star patient. I was definitely taking the medicines. So well, I remember you gave that lecture to the medical students. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you invited me in, and yeah. I, I talked about that. So I, I, I they're I, still you know. talking about that, that session. You well, did. thank you. That's 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 really good. But so you know, I mean, I remember what I said. I said you need to keep taking the medicine, you know, regularly because you know, I mean, the last manic episode was because I stopped, stopped, stopped taking the medicine. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe I did say that. Well, this is actually a really common situation that Frank and I were role-playing. Of course, this is uh, Chuck, and we're talking about a situation we've commonly encountered where I would describe one of really uh, appraisal of risk, where many people with bipolar disorder, they have insight, they recognize they have bipolar 1 disorder, the treatment may have helped them acutely, but they don't really think, that they really need long-term treatment. They've appraised themselves as being at minimal risk. Right. And, and of course, it's the risk is the worst when people are manic. I mean, yeah. the classic thing of mania is people lose that sort of awareness of a disease state. Um, so especially, I always, I always find this, it's a very difficult one, you know. I mean, this one was fortunate because he had some some sort of rocks that you could grab right, onto. Right, right. Like the wife, for right. instance. Yeah. That, Who had insight. And so yes, on. Yeah. and had insight, you know. And then that allowed you to sort of to key in. And you, and, and you could see Frank beginning to, there was that waffle there yeah. that, that you were able yeah. to grab hold of. That's you know? right. And he's a lucky man. That's because right. Because otherwise he's had an... You know, he said back to the psych hospital. He but, was ramping up like crazy. You know, I've struggled with this because it almost becomes a, a, almost an impasse because the patient has decided that they are in a non-risk category for yeah. relapse recurrence and that they've overestimated their resiliency, yeah, so to speak, absolutely. and underestimated the risk. So I find that I've just had to go to psychoeducation 101 and just keep pounding that, obviously trying to maintain an empathic engagement with my patient. Yeah, which you did very, very well. That's exactly yeah. right. That's, that's definitely the trick with this. Yeah. And in your practice, Chuck, you see lots of patients in your career. This situation comes up very commonly. Very common. A couple of tips for our participants today? Yeah, well, do what you did. 
um, and look for any, you know, look for any kind of leverage that you can find in there that would help a person, especially somebody like this who's escalating up, because this is going to be an emergent situation for this guy. Yeah. So any handle, any leverage you can get to do the very simple thing of getting to start taking their medicine. And, of yeah. course, this is a classic example of uh, this gentleman, when he gets down a little bit and his, his awareness and his insight returns, that would be a time that would be really important to talk about an LAI, right? Right. So it's interesting because here uh, there was probably a first step that needed to be made, which was he needed to get back on his medicine right away. Yeah. But then this is an example of how when his mood begins to escalate up, uh, he needs protection. He needs protection from where he was when he came into your office. So we talk so much about striking when the iron is hot or the iron is cold. This is about striking during that window, that lacune, if you will, of insight those times and trying to work with people because insight is a very fluid phenomenon for many people who have bipolar disorder and that's a great opportunity to work with that, leverage that, but obviously keep the patient coming back and keep that engagement and it has to be a shared decision process to make this work for the patient in the long run. Okay, let's now look at a very common scenario in my experience and no doubt yours and that's patients who, have, who believe there's a stigma with taking long-acting injectable antipsychotics. It comes up very frequently in my conversation. Frank, welcome back to the to the clinic. Nice Thank to see you, you again. Good to see you again, Dr. McIntyre. Now, I know that you're meeting with the team, and I was chatting with the team this morning before you came. I think you'd raised some concerns about taking a long-acting injectable for your bipolar 1 disorder. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, um, the optics in that are just not good, doctor. I, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 I remember when I was in the psych hospital, you know, back now, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago, yeah. and... Um, I saw some really sick schizophrenic people mm -hmm. getting those shots, and 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 you know they 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 were stiff. I, I just I just and you know and, and I, I don't know. It just makes me feel like I'm a total loser. Frankly. So and, and that's important to say that. I mean, I'm glad you expressed that with me. And say more about that in the inpatient unit when you were there. It sounds like it was a very traumatic experience. What is it about that? Is it say more about what's affecting you so much? Yeah, I just um, you know the idea of taking a shot. Just, you know, it's sort of like a condemnation, right? It's like, you know, it's one thing to take a pill. Although I, I you know, the one thing I did tell the people the, this morning when I was meeting with the team is, you know, it's also a drag to have to take all these pills every day. Right? Yes. I mean, that, I, I recognize that. But I just, you know, it just seems like going in and I just... It just it makes me feel like 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 I'm really, really sick. Like I'm even more abnormal than... I already feel. I worked on an inpatient unit for many, many years, and often patients get needles because of, uh, you know, it's almost like they're being put into restraints and so on. As a punishment, uh, some people well, see this that, as. And you know, I mean, uh, maybe you don't know, that happened to me. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. So okay. I was, I, I came in, you know, and I was really manic. I mean, I, I had no insight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I took a swing at one of the nurses, and the next thing I knew, I was in four point, you know, what did they call it? Four point restraints. Four point restraints, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And they injected me with, um, what is that, Hal? Oh, Haldol. And, yeah, yeah. oh, it was, so I, you know, to be honest with you, there's that too. So it's that's just, a very traumatic experience. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, you know, it's like I have post-traumatic stress disorder right. for needles, so, you know, so it's hard. A lot of people have talked about how humiliating it is, you know, they have their trousers taken down, they're putting a needle in, that often happens in the inpatient. Yep. Is that part of this for you as well? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's interesting. You're a good psychiatrist. I, I, I hadn't 
talked about that this morning with the team, but that is part of it with me, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other concerns with respect to first how people think about you, or is there other aspects? I want to hear more of the other sort of concerns about just the you know, the stigma of taking these types of medications. Well, I mean, where would I get the shots? Would it be, I, I mean, it would be a private thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, you have to come here to the clinic, and one of our team uh, would, would provide it for you on, on yeah. a monthly basis, for example. Yeah, yeah. So it's not... I mean, other people wouldn't necessarily know about it. I mean, but people oh, know, you know, sure. I mean, I, I talk to people about this. Yeah, I guess in my case, it really is this, this sort of felt sense that it just, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like it's a, a, a bigger thing to get a shot for something. It, it, just, it just feels, yeah. you know, like it's hard. You were here last time, Frank. You had mentioned you've been going to a bipolar support group. Do you know anyone who has bipolar who takes needles? And if so, have you heard any experience, bad or good, or anything like that? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I knew uh, there was one lady who was doing the, the, the needles, and, and she said it was fine. Hmm. Um, it's not something people talk about very much, is it? Not, not as much as they should. You know, for example, the DBSA, Depression Bipolar Support Alliance, we have chapters across America. It's virtual, telehealth. And there's opportunities through peer support to learn more about taking treatments, including long-acting injectables. And that's why I was curious, because sometimes people find it a very positive experience to hear it reframed or hear it presented by someone else who's functioning quite well. Would, it, would you be able to provide me, like, some kind of contact where I could talk to people about it? Oh, absolutely. I have read the resource for the DBSA, and you can hear more about it. This is one peer support area to hear more about not just long-acting injectables, but other treatments for bipolar disorder. Okay. Well, let me think about it. Okay. That's great. Okay. Well, uh, again, so obviously Frank is uh, my good friend uh, Chuck Raison, and this is a very common scenario, Chuck, as you it know, is. and it's one that is understandable. Uh, it has a long history and, and unfortunately, a very uh, checkered history in psychiatry, the use of needles and, and so on. So people have an understandable reaction to that. But my experience has been is that it's not a deal breaker for most. It can be. Yeah. But it's one that does require, I think, a fair bit of direct, frank, and, and really empathic discussion with patients. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and there can be a variety of reasons. Some people are more publicly. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, in this scenario, we, we chose a guy who had been you know, medicated against yep. his will. And, you know, you know, that, I wonder if we ask about that enough, right? A lot of people that have, you know, really significant bipolar disorder will have had a manic yeah, episode. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, like you, I, it's funny, I ran the half the UCLA inpatient service for years, and my Friday, my, my 5 o'clock uh, sort of activity was usually standing over some poor person that was being put in four-point yeah, straight. Yeah, sure. And, you know, when, if people have memories of that when they come back into yes. a normal mood state, that's hard. Oh, it's absolutely. It, it's, it's I mean, I know a lot of people that have, have sort of PTSD symptoms for that. Now, absolutely. you know, sometimes you got to do it in the hospital, though. Yeah, I mean, it, sure. it's it's a no win. But but there's an example of something where because you sort of queried yep. me, I, yeah. I, had you not asked, I wouldn't have said. Right, right. So that right. was a really sharp move. Well, you know, I've, I've noticed people feel very humiliated uh, by this, understandably. It's obviously traumatizing. Yep. Um, and one of the aspects, as you know, Chuck, with bipolar disorder is that people don't like meds to control their, their moods, their thoughts, their behaviors. Yeah. And then this kind of has that sort of association for it many does. people. Yes, right? yes. You know, it does. It's a lack it's, of control. It's kind of a one floor of the cuckoo's nest kind of feel, yeah. right? All of a sudden yeah. you're pulling in, which is which the Frank and the thing was trying to articulate a little bit of this sort of, all of a sudden you're into some sort of more... Yeah. Yeah, you know. You know what I found, Chuck, is that conversely, I find patients will tell me that when they take LAIs, they feel that they're more in control of their mood 
rather than the medications controlling orally every day. Because yeah. I take medications every day, there's that daily reminder, it's controlling my mood. The once a month is almost a bit of a kind of a locus of control enhancer, yes, if you will. Yes, that makes perfect sense. And of course, you know, these medicines have acute effects. You know, you, you take a medicine in the morning and you take it and, you know, you feel a little sleepy, you feel a little bit funny, you know. Whereas with an LAI, you've got this sort of, it's, all, it's like a background thing. You're yeah. right. You can, you, can, you can safely do a little bit more ignoring. That's right. That's your right. treatment. And that's a very powerful thing. One final point, Chuck, is that I've noticed in my career that patients have a surplus of horror stories and they have a deficit of positive stories around the medications. Yeah. And I find that peer support can often be an opportunity to maybe augment the positive. Not, not, not Pollyanna, but a, a different framework. Around Absolutely. The, because, you know, so many patients, especially with bipolar disorder, just credit these medicines for saving their lives. They're yeah, right sure, so. sure, oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay, let's look at this last case scenario. And in fact, what we're going to do, both Chuck and I, we're just going to discuss this out loud. This is a situation I very frequently encounter where people just don't even know that long-acting injectables are an option. And quite frankly, Chuck, this is where maybe my own bias comes in because when I trained, I guess it was more conventional training, long-acting injectables meant you had late-stage tertiary bipolar, you were non-adherent, uh, yeah. you had very you know treatment failures all over the place. And now, clearly that person could still be a candidate for a long-acting injectable, but increasingly, I use long-acting injectables earlier in the illness trajectory, right out of the gate, when I first diagnose someone with bipolar, I lay the options all on the table and say, these are the options, including LAIs. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. You know, I mean, we know, I think, from just, you know, tons of data that early in these psychotic disorders, disease states, stopping the recurrence of symptomatic episodes is hugely protective of the brain. Yeah. There's like that window, right? Yeah. So that is the time when adherence is key, right? And yeah. it's also the time when people are often likely to quit because, you know, so they have an episode and you treat them and they get better and then they truly do feel, well, you know, hey, I had one thing and, and so I, I don't want to keep taking this. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Boom. Then they have another one and then there's, you know, you, as we were talking about, you yeah. and I both work on inpatient units. You see the people coming back from a first episode to a second to a third and you see them deteriorating and going down and losing insight. And so there especially, it's valuable to get something on board where that coverage is there and they're not going to, you know, just stop it sort of like that. So Absolutely. Yeah, and you know what's interesting to me is I've had patients now say to me in so many words that taking a treatment once a month versus daily, uh, making decisions daily versus once a month, they say this is kind of a no-brainer, I want to take it once a month. And these are people who, frankly, are taking their medications religiously and on a regular basis. And in fact, the next question I often get from people is, or receive from people is, are there other, why why can't I have lithium like this? Why can't I have anticonvulsants like this? So in other words, it does seem like that there's a, there's an openness to it, and, and then that's followed up with, why has anyone not told me this before? Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it. I mean, we don't talk about it much, right? I mean, it, it really is terra incognita, especially for bipolar disorder, Yeah. right? I yeah. mean, so, you know, I, you know, you're talking about the old days. Remember the prolix and shuffle, right? I mean, <laughs> sure. you know, you'd see these folks that yeah. would be on these high-potency old agents. Yes. And, I mean, I, in, I trained, you know, in the early 90s, and I this is, was my sort of memory of these agents, right? So the fact that there's been this huge sort of technological development, yeah, yeah. that we have these new agents yeah. that don't have those side effects, you know, That's and right. that we have now agents you can, that have extended periods of coverage. So, you, you know, it's not like you're going in and getting a shot every couple of weeks. That I, I just think we don't talk about it enough. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, since you mentioned prolixin, because over the years, I remember when I first started my career, I used to use a lot of the first generation. That's what we had at the time. Yeah. 
And uh, the first generation antipsychotic long-acting injectable bipolar are linked to a higher risk of depression. And one of the points I try to press with patients and families is with the long-acting injectable second generation, we don't see that. We, we don't. We see a lower rate of EPS, lower rate of depression induction. In fact, these drugs don't cause depression. No, they, in fact, they often treat depression. Absolutely. They can be augmenting agents for depression. Absolutely. And that's a huge difference. Yes. And you know what I've noticed as well? In, you know, when you sit with someone bipolar who's had one or two episodes versus someone who's had, say, ten episodes... That's a different person you're sitting yes. with. You can just tell. Yes. Just beyond the, the, the social cognition, the timing, the attunement. And what I have found with the LAIs is it gives people an opportunity for the better trajectory and perhaps reduce some of that progressive damage over yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, yeah. that's certainly if you look in, in the schizophrenic world, taking uh, antipsychotic agents in early in the illness is a huge protector against relapse, right? I mean, they... You know, that in some of those early relapse studies, they had to stop the studies because the people that yeah. stopped taking the agents had, you know, relapse rates that were just ethically unacceptable. Again, so it goes to this point that really, you know, um, there's no time where adherence is more important than when it first starts out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know. So during this you know, session, we've been talking about LEIs, and we're in a new time in psychiatry medicine broadly with more uh, technology and apps and uh, virtual reality, maybe even, you know, uh, all kinds of technologies are entering into our world. We talk about just-in-time medicine. And really, long-acting injectables are the ultimate in just-in-time medicine in the sense that the medication's there when you need it because yeah. you're taking it. Right. And it also makes life easier when you have symptom breakthrough because we know what the cause is. It's either it's not non-adherence. That is a key point that we right? haven't touched upon because so often, you know, people, they, they begin to have a relapse and you don't know is it the progression of the disease or is it just that they're not taking their medicine? Absolutely. Cutting, you know, cordoning off 50% of that dilemma is huge in terms yeah. of understanding what to do next. Absolutely. Uh, Chuck, we've covered four scenarios in this. Yeah, it's always great. fun. I hope for all of our participants this is useful. We try to make it a bit more dynamic and a bit more real world in vivo as yeah. what we see. We try. Because, in fact, this is something that we see so common. We do think that the longitudinal course of bipolar can be favorably influenced by giving people the right treatment, of course, part of shared decision-making. Yeah. So thank you all for joining us for today's session. Chuck, thanks for doing this Thank you. Me. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Great seeing you, man. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Novus Medical Education and Medical Education Resources and is supported by an independent educational grant from Atsuka America Pharmaceutical Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, Go to ReachMD.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.